Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Might I remind you folks, uh, although Leon Tailoring is great for the tailor and ready-made clothes, they also have a good career services division for your young person, because before you know it, they'll be out heading off for interviews, for jobs, or for internships this summer, and you want to make sure your young person looks their best. You guys have invested a lot of time and energy and money in that college education, now it's time for it to start paying off, and Leon Tailoring can help you do it. They'll make sure your young person is dressed right for the right job so they can make that right first impression. You know, I'm important that is so swing on by leon tailoring check out their career services division leon tailoring 809 north delaware downtown indianapolis uh, Bob, let me ask you uh, let's know someone who's actually governing in the, in the unit of era um what do you see what would you like to see maybe done differently that you're dealing with today that was so like said one of those unintended consequences it's a question of more intentionality we are where we are as i said earlier we probably don't have the ability to undo much of what was done within the, with, with UNIGOV, but we do have the ability to recognize what those issues are that are a result of it, just as been mentioned before, that, you know, as you very well know, money, the money follows the student. Um, the unintended consequences are addressed when the community at large, and that's all sectors of our community, not just our, our, our political um, um, sphere, but our corporate sphere, our educational sphere, um, our philanthropic sphere, recognize and say this is how we will get these things addressed. Uh, I use this example a lot because I have such great respect for the company Cook Medical. The very fact that they saw a win-win in an investment at 38th and Sheridan with high unemployment, a, a, a great deal of low skill, um, you know, challenges with public safety, challenges with personal safety. When they said, we can make a business here, we can invest in the very people who are, who are probably or have been impacted by a school system that was underfunded, then that kind of an example of corporate engagement is what we can build upon. So, if I may, if a corporation that could have been given a greenfield in any one of our donut counties and limitless amounts of incentive can see a way through, then practically everyone in this room and the organizations that they are part of can work collectively with local government and state government to see the issue and address the issue. And whether that is education or whether that is low skills that, that need training, you know, um, uh, um, wh whether that is oftentimes high challenge with safety. If that can be done, then we, with this collective that we have right now that we call UNIGOV, we can get this done. So moving forward, these next five and ten years, at this point, there's not a point in lamenting what we have. 
It's a matter then of saying it open-eyed and making that intentional determination that we're going to invest in our communities together. When we see the life outcomes, or as the work that we've done with IU, when it shows longevity, having a 13-year drop in a five-mile stretch in Marion County, by that I mean the longevity of families, kids in Washington Township is significantly higher than pockets within Center Township to the tune of 13 years. We've got an issue and a problem that requires a lot of adult conversation with a lot of open doors. And one of the things that we've learned over these last two years is to speak as directly and as frankly as we can when it comes to inequity, when it comes to race, even when it comes to gender. And then ask, what is our responsibility in this? And what is our collective responsibility in this? And the more that we talk about it, the less room there is for us to hide or not talk about it or act like it doesn't exist. I think all of us are in this room today because we have a belief in the future of this county. Yes, no? Then if we have a belief in the future of this county, then let's talk as directly as we can. What resources do I have and what resources do you have and the various people in this, you know, in this room? And how do we do in the ways of like a Coke medical? How do we see a win-win in this? They can make a significant profit. But look at the impact when they are intentional that we are going to build with people from this community, we're going to employ for people in this community, and while we're at it, what we also see is that we're in a food desert. Now, how are we going to build a supermarket here that this community becomes one of great pride and sustainability? Right. We've got about uh, 15 minutes left. I want to make sure we get some of the questions uh, before we uh, close up shop here. Uh, here's one question I thought was interesting. Um, it's interesting that the panelists who are not in the room 53 years ago have all mentioned race, but the two who were in the room have not. Uh, so, uh, John, Ed, this question is for you. Uh, was race discussed during those private conversations 53 years ago, and if so, in what context? you got to repeat that. I, it's very difficult. To, no problem. The sound system is a problem. No problem. Uh, was race discussed in the room when you folks were having your meetings 53 years ago? And if so, in what context? I'm sorry, what, what, what's the question? Oh, okay. You want to know, was race discussed yes. in the meetings that we had? Absolutely. 
And it was uh, one of those questions that we debated considerably. And I, I guess what I have to say about it is that uh, we saw an opportunity to completely change the outside world's view of Indianapolis. And we also saw an opportunity to change Indian, Indianapolis citizens' view of Indianapolis. So those were the tops on our, our list. Now, I also have to say that uh, the, the race issue came up in this way. We said, how can we provide more representation for the African-American community in Indianapolis? And the way to do that was single-member districts. Prior to that time period, there was very little uh, representation on the council level, either county council or city council. And, and the people who analyzed the electorate at that point said, yes, uh, we think it's possible there could be seven to eight African-American seats, if you want to call them that, uh, on this new 25-member uh, uh, countywide council. So that was one of the issues we talked about. That was part of the reason that we moved to single member districts, for sure. Yeah. Question for me, John. What has been the value of Communica with respect to the livelihood of minorities and communities? For example, we have a city council, which I think Fati speaks better than I can that we now have seven minority members of 25 on the council. Has our voice been increased or has it been decreased? We have the far east side of Indianapolis, which is rampant with crime and violence. Where is the voice of these people being heard? How are their needs being addressed? So has the minority, the black folk, been diluted by Unica, or has it been strengthened? Fuck yeah. And I, I thank you, uh, Senator. And the question, just so you guys know, uh, that uh, former Senator Brohan was, have minorities uh, voice representation gotten stronger or less stronger since Unica came into play? I would say that it has gotten stronger. And I want to give you an example of what I just said a few moments ago that never in our history, never in the history of our city, have we ever spoken about race and equity and made the commitment publicly and broadly that the money that we spend is going to be done equitably, that we recognize that we have used same contractors for a number of years because, well, you know, they're good or they're, you know, they're very reputable that we've not made the conscious decision to look at where we have our disparities. In 2019, we had a disparity study. I commissioned a disparity study <coughs> to look at where our dollars were being spent, the number of black and brown and women and disabled-owned businesses, how many of them had contracts and what was their capacity. And where there was a deficit then, how do we intentionally build them up? 
so that they are representative of their county. Never in our history, ever, has our council or any other department in our city spoken so clearly and so forthrightly and then backed it up with data to say we have these disparities. Now it is up to us every year when every department comes in front of us to tell us how are you making up this disparity. Now that it is in the public eye, now that we have made ourselves accountable for it, where and how are we eliminating that disparity? And I, I can't speak for any other race, because I'm not any other race than what I am. But I don't know that local government, and that is the council and the administration, I don't know that if we did not have local elected leaders who were diverse, who were in positions of authority, black, women, um, and you know, we have um, you know, a gender, I mean, um, I don't know that if we were not in the position that we are, that we would have the sensitivity to talk about those things and normalize the discussion. Yesterday, my son graduated from Purdue, and today we had folks over to help him celebrate. And, of course, the topic went to politics. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And I remember telling a friend who lives across the way that if we don't talk about issues like race and the history of our racism, and let's face it, I've got a 98-year-old mother who will tell me today her own history of racism in this county. A Christmas addict's graduate, by the way. Those things, are in, in, those things are in my DNA. And therefore, it is important that we discuss them. And as I explained to my friend from across the way, I want to always be able to speak as clearly as possible the words race and racism and bigotry so that we normalize them and we don't shun from them, we don't run away from them, but we address them. And all of you in here who are married know that those issues that you don't address don't get addressed. May I have a, a show of hands for all who feel me in this? <laughs> it is the same way in local government. If we don't talk about it, it's not going to get done. So for the third year coming, in our budget season, August through October, all of you will have the ability to review our budget and to ask those questions. Are you eliminating? Are we moving towards elimination of the disparities that we know have existed in this county? for generations. So Senator, I think that we have a benefit from having someone who had an African-American mother who experienced the African-American experience in this county and can share that with his peers 
openly, regardless of race, so that we can get those addressed. We got just a couple of left here for to uh, wind up shops. I'm just asking folks uh, if you just start real quickly and drop us everything, just work our way down the, the list here. Uh, what do you see as the next Unigov step, or is there one? Yeah. The next Unigov step, and I, I thought about this earlier on today, but that next Unigov step is the larger leap of what we have been working through. The larger step is the recognition, once again, that we've got these, we've got the situation where we have schools that are underfunded, especially our IPS. We've got schools that are under-resourced. And that we, unless we ever plan to raise taxes or we can ask the state for additional funding or new funding formulas, that this has got to be a joint venture with our community members. That means, once again, it is not making decisions without a collective body present, without accountability, without calling our community members forward and asking the question, what can you do and what resources can you put on the table? There was, I'm sorry, just a, a moment. Uh, I'm gonna go back to first reference, if you don't mind. Early acts. Early in the book of Acts, wherein it talks about the, the, the various disciples coming forward and presenting the goods that they had and putting them on a table. And then those goods being distributed as the apostles saw need. We've often looked at local government as a sole source, and it is not. It is us asking for our community members to see the problem and join with us in addressing whatever that problem may be. Those are our next steps with Unigov, without Unigov, open-eyed, clearly spoken, and asking that we do this as a collective body. John? Now that you're in charge, you are in a position to make sure that those conversations take place. Uh, I know you're not the mayor, but you are in a major leadership position in, in the county. And I think all of us in this room will be, be watching as you move toward a, a moment in which you try to ask department heads and everybody else who's involved, is this equitable, is this fair? And I, I salute you for that. I used to ask those questions at the state level. And what I want to explain here, if everybody doesn't understand it, the council does not fund schools. Never has and probably never will. And the lion's share of all funding for public schools in Indiana is provided by the Indiana General Assembly in the state budget. And so part of the issue here is one in which we more effectively tell our 
our legislature that we want that equity that you're talking about. Um, we tried to do it years ago with a new school distribution formula, worked for a while, and then all the inequities began to find their way back into the system. Uh, I guess what I've got to say to you is that Indiana, right now, people ask me occasionally, John, what is the number one problem for the state of Indiana? And my response may not be yours, but I say one of the biggest problems we face is the fact that we are satisfied too often with the status quo. Good enough is good enough for an awful lot of people in this state. We need to strive for excellence. There's nothing wrong with that, and it's a worthy objective. So, we'll be watching. We look forward to seeing see your activities. I appreciate that. Come in. Um, as I mentioned, our budget season is August through October, and we will be in our third year in this. And we welcome all of you to come down to the City County Building, to the various committees which are posted online, um, and weigh in with questions and suggestions and, and, and solutions. Faye, what do you think is the next step in the evolution of Unigov, or should there be one? Well, I would call for definitely more light on what is going on in local and state governments. By that I mean a more, not just public hearings, but opportunities for surveys, contacts, so that they really had mechanisms for hearing from the citizens. At this point, I find it very difficult to communicate with representative. And it isn't just because of the pandemic, it's because of the way the system is structured. We have, in the end, we talk about part-time legislators, which we're very proud of. Well, the job is too big now to be done the same way that it was done 100 years ago. 60-day sessions, budgets every two years. How do we, so I think that we need to talk about restructuring, but with the idea of identifying the problem of lack of communication or ways in which you can hear from the public. And to translate that into a formal way in which the citizens can respond to today's issues. Right now in Indianapolis, I say we have two issues which I consider crisis. The daycare issue. Once in my career, I ran a daycare center. And I know many of the people, the young mothers that I deal with now, their big problem is finding daycare. And it's not just because of the pandemic, it's because they're also limited to wages. Most of the benefit, I would say, in terms of the downtown development has resulted in low-wage jobs. How do we focus on 
those mothers and families that need to make a living wage, but our economy as currently structured does not help. The second issue I think is the focus on crime. Where is it happening? Why is it happening? And how do our mental health services figure into the configuration? I've never heard, except for the a very small time when we were discussing mental health issues, because suicide had become a problem in the community. Now we talk about the opiate issue, but where is the mechanism of local and state government prioritizing those issues which are now in the forefront? Well, first of all, I'd like to say how nice it is to start hearing more and more discussion of today's issues and the things that we need to be doing to address those. Uh, and, and one of the major things I want to say is we are really lucky to have a leader like Bob at our council who's doing the things he is doing and seeing the things he's seeing and trying to do what he's what's trying to accomplish. I don't know whether that's in spite of UDF or because of UDF, and I think I could probably get arguments on both sides. But I don't really care. The fact is, he's there, he's trying to do the job. One of the things I have to observe is that when we passed UNIGAV, Indianapolis was described nationally in a national newspaper as a donut, a hollow core with all the dough around the outside. And we tried to address that. And I think, to a great extent, we have done that. But today, a lot of that situation has recurred. And the dough is now outside the county. But we can't pass another UNIGAV to access those resources. We do need, however, to be looking at new ways to access them. And that probably involves the creation of regional councils uh, with some authority and some responsibility and accountability to address certain issues like transportation. I mean, we're providing a hell of a lot of transportation to people who don't live in our county, but we're paying for the roads and streets that bring them in here. We need to start start thinking about that and how we address that going forward. But, I, but we have a leadership in the city to do that, and I'm glad of that. Let's probably get the last word. Really, God has many advantages. It has indeed put Indianapolis on the map as far as sports arenas, et cetera, and that. For me, the next step is what can we do to bring the have-nots more equity in government? What can we do to do with the crime in the far east and far west parts of our city? How can we make them a part of Utica and not on the outside? Ladies and gentlemen, former city governor John Mudson, Council President Bob Hosley, former city representative Ed Lampkin, former uh, IPS teacher Senator Billy Broke, and attorney civil rights activist Faye Williams. Let's give them all a big round of applause. And how about a round of applause for our moderator? 
This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.